Okay, this is the obligatory warning. So welcome to Uneducators. There's two things. Chris likes to swear a lot, uh, so just be warned. And secondly, that we don't represent our employers in any way. We are talking off the cuff about how we think education should or shouldn't be done and quite possibly talking about it from an idealistic point of view. So bear that in mind. We hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, awesome. Great. I'm going to hide garage band, hide the old garage band. So what had you written in here? You'd written... I've just pinged in a bunch of links. So basically, um, there's a few things that sort of disconnected to what we're going to talk about. That was all that I think Whoa. are worth... What's a school called home? So that's, um, so that's Dougald Hine, who's a really interesting guy who's created this sort of... Um, uh, well, lots of things he talks about just are really interesting in terms of philosophy for the world and just quite a calming sort of guy. And he's done this school where you sort of meet together and discuss topics and things. It's quite nice. Um, I only know, it's I know nice a little bit about well. it. It's nice colour as well. It's really nice kind of pinky kind of colour. But yes, it's a not, he's a really nice guy. Series. He lives in Sweden now, I think. But it's just I wanted to connect a few other things to... to... So he would be like, um, in the spring... Of 2020, no, he's many around. No, no, he's British. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I was trying to do a Swedish accent. Um, well, like one time, I have to tell you about the prostitutes. The prostitutes in Lisbon, they let, they let you do the... And then I'm not going to say what the guy said next, because he went into graphic detail about what the prostitutes in Lisbon would do. Oh, and I was days. like, what the hell? Um, so just for context, um, oh, we, when you totally used, I don't know how right it works now. now. <laughs> well, uh, how it used to work, we t totally need to keep this in the show. How it used to work in the past was when you came into the airport, in uh, the international airport, which is um, out in the country, or the city airport, more in the international, or even the train station, actually, um, you would go out to get a taxi and you'd get in a taxi. The first time this happened to me was at the train station. I got in the taxi and like the door just, you know, I got in and the guy just stood there holding the door, right? And I was like, okay, we're kind of ready to go, right? And I was like, are we, are we gonna go? And he was like, no, 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 just a minute. And I was like, okay, what, what are we doing here? And then basically what happened was they, they fill up the taxi with loads of people. Oh. who are broadly heading in the same direction, right? <laughs> um, and that, that's kind of like how the taxis work. And for me, coming over from Glasgow originally, it was like, what the fuck? It was really confusing. Anyway, this one time I was coming back late at night into the international airport and it was like, it was 11.30 or something. And do you know what? If it was now, I would just get in the taxi and say, mate, let's not worry about filling up this taxi. Can we just get on the road? You know, I'll just give you a little bit of extra or whatever. I don't care. I just want to get home. Anyway, I got in the taxi and, you know, it became apparent that we had to wait for people broadly heading in the direction of Lisburn and Hillsborough. And these two Dutch guys got in. And I was sitting in the front with the taxi driver because I was the first in. And we set off on our journey. Uh, to Lisburn, which is on the way to where I was not really on the way to where I'm going but anyway it was this night and these two Dutch guys got in and they were both they both worked in the flower industry so they were both you know they grew flowers they flew to Belfast occasionally to make deals and stuff and it was all just to do with flowers it was really interesting but then anyway they got on to the you know where so I'd like to know where do you get the good prostitutes and I was like what um you know and the taxi driver was in the front and he was going like you know what <laughs> and they they started to talk about prostitutes and you know what prostitutes would do and what some prostitutes would do and what some other prostitutes wouldn't do and they were like asking us about the prostitutes and it was pretty clear from me and the taxi driver that we had absolutely no idea <laughs> you know oh, wow. what was the what was the deal with prostitutes <laughs> had never employed any prostitutes you know and they just went into great detail about you know some some of the prostitutes in the in the Leiden they can do these things for you I swear it will blow your mind and I was like <laughs> I was like what the hell <laughs> I proceeded to oh describe God, in nightmare. detail what they would do in some place in in Amsterdam or it wasn't in Amsterdam it was in the Netherlands and um, they got out at this housing estate and paid and we then headed off to Hillsborough and I was it was just me and the taxi driver and I was like what the fuck it was like the most surreal thing that so that was my that was my kind of Dutch accent there um so yeah that looks really nice that guy's sight yeah so they're just some things to connect to because I think it's worth um yeah I think it'll make sense as we talk Whoa, through the article I like this. that we sort it of says, decided we talk through I think yeah it says our, our plans for touring and hosting residential courses are currently on hold yeah instead we invite you to the first online offering for um a school called home so 
you obviously know a little bit about this. What, what, what is a school called home? I don't know too much other than I know someone who's gone on it. Uh, and I know... Oh, you know, someone has been to and taken a school. Yeah, and I also, I've, I've heard Dougal talk a number of times at the School of Art and been able to talk to him. Um, and just every time I've heard him talk, it's always been quite uh, enlightening and interesting and kind of mind expanding, yeah. you know? I, I, I love I this. I love this. And this is one reason why um, a couple of years ago I got involved with Alan... Um, Alan Moore, who'd written Do Design on the Do books. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, and there was this kind of accidental connection through walking where I just happened to tweet one day. I mean, I was doing a lot of research into Alan because I was refactoring where I was heading in my in my career and I was doing an exercise called Product DNA. Um, so I probably should put Product DNA into the show notes. Um, so the first thing for the show notes would be a school called Home. Anyway, I was doing this um, exercise um, called Product DNA, which is where I get you to go and find some heroes that you would, you know, learn from basically by, by analyzing them and looking at what they're doing and, and not just, it's not a case of copying them. It's a case of like, you know, I really like what this person's doing here, but mm -hmm. I really don't like what they're doing over here. Um, you know, and I really like what this person, a different person is doing over here. Um, and this other person is really interesting to me too. And then once you start to go off and do that investigation, you then end up with enough kind of like inspiration to really set up your own brand and, you know, who are you? What do you stand for? And I've always talked to the students at the School of Design and, and also in Belfast School of Arts, um, Art about negative space, drawing negative space. Um, so for anyone who's listening who doesn't understand the concept of drawing negative space, right, there's two ways to draw a chair. Okay, we can draw the chair, right, which is to look at the chair and draw the actual chair. And the other way to draw the chair is to draw the negative space around the chair. So we can draw the space in between the legs or the space around the outside and yeah. the chair will emerge from the negative space. So I've always said to, to the students that are working with me, you know, it's as much finding out what they're not or what they're doing that's not resonating with you as, as, as what is resonating with you. Um, and so I'd been looking at Alan Moore's work. He didn't know this. And I'd been really deep down digging into what he was up to because I'd read Do Design. Um, and then I was following him on Twitter and he wasn't following me. And I one day I knew he was into walking because I'd seen his tweets. Um, and then one day I happened to be leaning into the wind at a 45 degree angle because it was so windy on the northwest coast of Ireland. Kara took a photo and I just had, he, I came home and I saw he had tweeted about walking. And I'd said, oh, we're just back from a walk. It's quite windy in, in the northwest of Ireland. And I put a link into the photo. And he then looked at the photo, which was on Kara's feed. He then looked at Kara's work. And he was like, oh, wow, Kara's stuff is amazing. And I said, oh, I'll put you in touch with her. Absolutely. Because he's very into craftsmanship and beauty and things like that. Anyway, long story short, he then phoned me about five minutes later. Um, you know, I gave him my number and it was the weekend. And I said, you know, don't feel like you have to call it's the weekend. Five minutes later, the call went, phone went, and he was like, hello, Chris, it's, it's Alan. And I was like, bloody hell. Um, and, you know, he, he was running a, a retreat in England with some, essentially most of them were really life coaches, you know, yep. people who were life coaching. And, and then he said, do you want to come along? I was like, whoa. Um, and initially, I, you know, I didn't say no. I was like, of course I would like to go. Um, but I said, look, I tell you what, you're excited. I'm excited. We just had a conversation. You don't really know who I am. So, you know, why don't you give me a couple of days and you can, you know, take a look at the work I've done and you can then decide. We were in the middle of building the website for me, mrmurphy.com, which two years later is still a progress that is ongoing. Um, <laughs> anyhow, I wrote a page because um, I on the site I have a, you know, a now page. Um, yes. Have you heard of a now page? Yeah, I've got, I've got yeah. one. It's not, it's, I think it's pretty up to date. <laughs> yeah, my now page is probably about two years out of date. Um, and I wrote at the now page and said you know i'm so many days into my journey of a year off 100 uh, a year probably more off alcohol i've this month i've been reading this book and you know i had an interesting conversation with alan moore and i've done something else and the project with electronic arts is is getting towards the end and i more or less wrote that page for him um you know i wrote the now page for me to capture what was i doing but i kind of wrote it thinking he'll be reading it and then he, he emailed me and said this all sounds great why don't you come um, but a lot of what we were talking about on that retreat was very like this um, school, a school called home. Because on the page, if anyone, we'll put it into the show notes for sure. Um, home is a school that grows out of the conversations we bring together around our kitchen table. It's a learning community and a gathering place for those who are drawn to the work of regrowing a living culture. 
Wow, I love this. <laughs> it's the fruit of the projects we led, the books we read, the organizations we built, the people we learned with, and the friendships that formed us over the past two decades. It's a new beginning, something we're figuring out together as we go along with the help of that web of friends and collaborators. Home is a school the shape of a pocket, an air pocket, a breathing space, a pocket of resistance and hope. Wow, yeah, he's you read that good. text and you just think, right, where do I sign up? Yeah, it's, it's very cool. And from what I understand is that um, the they're very like slow and they're on Zoom and stuff, but it's very um, calming and the whole they, you know the whole warm up to it apparently is just really nice. And then he has a bit of a like a bit of a talk and then they have conversations Whoa, and things. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds and like they have uh, I think they have a bit of like an after party thing. It's optional. Yeah, he, and he stuff. also as well says further down Dougald has been a founder of organizations including the Dark Mountain Project, yeah. Space Makers, and the School of Everything. Yes. Whoa, what's the yeah. School of Everything? There's so no that's, link. No, it that's just our, says the that's, School of Everything. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that was a project he did a long time ago, which was um, uh, basically a, a, a sort of a uh, connected sort of de-schooling and uh, um, community schooling and things like that, if I remember rightly. And it was sort of online and there was a bunch of, yeah, it was good. It was kind of design-led. So I think it's sort of all okay. grown out of that. Again, it's a long time since I looked at his work, but I just my, my point was that it sort of is because um, the chap. So the book that we that I got, so I got this book linked to me through uh, a blog I follow called Thoughts Shrapnel, which is by a guy called yes, you've mentioned Doug him before. Belshaw. Yeah. So everybody, who is who is he? Who's he? Doug Belshaw was uh, the lead on uh, Moodle Net, which is a project to build an open education Moodle. Um, Oh, it was an open education resort repository, basically, for collecting and curating stuff, but it was run by Moodle, so he ran that open project most recently. He's uh, He's since left that uh, project and is, works in a co-op, well, runs a co-op and works sort of facilitating people's thinking around digital literacies um, and sort of, help, you know, those general sort of design thinking techniques and things, but from a sort of digital literacy's point of view I suppose it's a way to put it but the main thing is that he so I'm a patron of his you know um, and I'm on the top tier or whatever and I think I've, and I pay him a bit more than that because I just love the stuff that he produces uh, every so, week he's just so sends you, you're, gone. you're paying him through the patreon thing yeah I pay him through patreon and then I top it up because he won't let me give him any more money through a monzo <laughs> link because I think he deserves more than his top Patreon thing. So what's his top Patreon price then? I don't know. Okay, so what would I do? I would go if you go to thoughtshrapnel.com and then you can click on the Patreon link. Thoughtshrapnel.com. I need to get more into this Patreon thing as well. Um, so here we go. Become a patron. Um, so he's got all these funky tears. So it takes you to things. Patreon. Um, Doug, become a patron of Doug Belshaw. Um, so you can become a backer for $1 a month. You can become a supporter for $3 a month. You can become a super fan for $10 a month. Super fans get access to Thought Shrapnel Daily, shout out on the website, and showered with both stickers and recognition. Is that the top tier? Yeah. $10? Yeah. So you pay him a little bit more than $10 a month? Yeah, because I just, I just, I said to him, I want to, I think that's not enough for what you produce. Uh, and the but the other thing is to remember he doesn't not, all of this stuff is available anyway. You could get all of his content; it's online anyway. You uh, you just get it. I've, the Patreon thing doesn't necessarily give me any extras in yeah, that sense, yeah. other than what he this says, is, which this is great. Yeah, this is one of the things that I'm wrestling with at the minute because I'm doing a Kickstarter. I, did I mentioned to you I'm doing a Kickstarter. Yes, you sent me a link. Yes. And I was looking. Oh, so, you want me to look at some stuff? So I'm doing a Kickstarter for the School of Design uh, to get it launched, and we have this kind of crazy. Um, what the one pound for the first person, uh, then there's two tiers for two pounds, four tiers for four pounds, eight tiers for eight, and then it's uh, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, and we stop at 256. And if we get 256 people at 256 and 128 at 128, and all the way down to the squares where they start, we end up with 511 people in the community, plus me is 512, which is an old floppy disk. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Um, but one of the things that I need to write for that is that, you know, you get access to the Notion um, library uh, or you get access to the library in Notion. And it, it's it's kind of like, it's difficult to write because I'm saying you get access to the stuff in the library. And I'm like, yeah, but it's totally free anyway. 
Um, you know, so it's like, how do you say to somebody that they get access to something by paying you, but it's something you're going to give away anyway? I mean, I mean, for me, it's okay because there are other aspects that you're getting as part of the School of Design. Um, you know, in the Kickstarter, we're going to have a playgroup. I've been talking to Ben, the guy who built Playgroup. He's amazing. I think we mentioned him last week. Yeah. And I'm finally talking to him tomorrow on Zoom. Um, and he, he's been amazing. He's like, you know, he read the Kickstarter and he was like, this is really awesome. Um, you know, I'm actually thinking I'd like to be a member of your school of design. And I'm thinking, I'd love to have you in my school of design. Meanwhile, I'm sort of thinking, I totally want to support you on your what you're doing with Playgroup. And, you know, in a sense, this all becomes a little bit... Yeah sort of nepotistic and you know, everyone's but that's exactly what other. happens in that sense like i you know in patreon i obviously have some income but i spend out yeah more, i just want to you know. say pause there and say uh, it's patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com patreon.com slash proctorbot p-r-o-c-t-e-r-b-o-t it's uh, adam's patreon and he would welcome your support definitely every episode we put that in <laughs> It's never going to go up. No, but I think you should ring the bell. You should go like ding, 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 ding yeah, with the I should, bell when might. we. <laughs> when I get a, when I get a subscriber, I'll do that. Okay, <laughs> I should sign up straight on the show. Just to I'm get... not doing it now, but I'll, I'll get my wallet next episode. I'll do it. Make a note in the show notes. So the um, um, but so basically, he sent. So he sends something every week or a number of things each week, and I, I think I'm I'm subscribed to all the newsletters and whatever. So anything that I um. Anything cool that I find tend to, tends to come from Doug. So if you want to skip past, you know, me, just go straight to him. Um, okay. So he sent round this book. It's always interesting going called via you three. because, like, the thing is, you could go, to, you could go to thoughtshrapnel.com, yeah. and you know, there's a lot in there. Oh, it's tons. And the the thing is, re the reason I go through you is you always send me something and say, uh, check this out, and then I go, oh, that's that thought shrapnel guy again, um, <laughs> and. So instead of having to go and dig through the site, I get a specific thing. Yeah. You know, and in yes. a sense, that's kind of what an educator does. They, yeah, they, and, and there know. is stuff that, we, yeah, I think I find super interesting and other stuff that is a bit more fringe. But I mean, I enjoy probably all of his content in that sense. But he said... I thought you just said other stuff that's a bit more French. Um, fringe. But you said fringe. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've never heard of the term French used in that context, you know. We could, we could make that our own, Adam. We could say... That's a, it's a bit more French. Okay. Uh, people will be going like, what? Maybe yeah. like French is a bit left field, you know, yeah. um, unusual. You by know. the end, by the time we finish, like 20... Have a whole new language. Yeah, exactly. 50 podcasts in, we'll be talking in a different language. Like, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll just say, <laughs> yeah, we'll just say that's quite French. Uh, yeah. Yes, it's French. And people who are regular listeners will be like... I totally need to go to that website because it's French. Exactly. Um, oh, other people won't understand what we're talking about. So anyway, so look, I, look we are rambling now. So 70 minutes. So Hashtag we, so, ramble. There we go. So, okay. So D Doug posted a link to this 33 Myths of the System, which is a book, a free book by a guy called Darren Allen, who I'd never heard of before, to be fair. Nope, and neither uh, have I. Yeah, and so and Doug, like, I think his commentary was like, I found this really kind of profound, or I don't know, I can't remember what words he used. You'd have to look at his site to see. But he he was obviously quite interested in it. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to dig into it. And it's quite a big, it's quite a big text. Um, and so one of the myths that this guy covers is the myth of education. So this yeah, the, I looked at it the other day. Yeah, so that was the one that I thought was the, the the most interesting for us in terms of like it sounded like a cool you know because his opening sort of statement on it. So let me let me get to the opening statement of that text, and then I can also want to go back to the beginning of the book because I think it's really important. Um, so he says at the beginning. I presume you're not talking about the quote by David. F. No, Lancy. no, the, no. You're no. talking about almost the first sentence. Yeah. So he basically says at the beginning of this myth of education, education in the system. So he talks about 33 myths of the system, education being one of them. Education in the system means compulsory schooling in a world of artificial scarcity. Schooling activity stunts maturity, punishes experience, corrupts in initiative, cuts the individual off from the world, making self-sufficiency and self-confidence all but impossible. The most schooled people on earth are generally the most stupid, the most heavily indoctrinated, the most insensitive, the most conceited, and the most helpless. So it's like, whoa, what an opener, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, but but to be fair now, did you read the opener and think, well, yeah, I agree, because I did. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I read um, it and I, I, I totally agree. So um, that, I think, of, think that you probably didn't. I, that we had one of our internet things, so I didn't really hear the end, and I presume it will wash itself out in the um, in the in, when we do the editing because you're still talking even though I can't hear you. But you probably didn't read the first sentence of the next uh, no. paragraph, which I think was important too. The purpose of education is to socialize human beings into a life of complete institutional dependency. And, and I think that there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's to socialize human beings, i.e. we don't want people running around the streets naked, um, you know, punching each other in the face. And, you yeah. know, we're, so this... we're basically back to that hunter-dweller kind of gatherer culture. Yes, so the thing... But to... it's also yeah, that yeah. Com- complete institutional dependency is is another thing. But But if I could just say one last thing yeah, yeah. and then I'll shut up and let you speak. It's the whole thing that he says about generally the most stupid, the most heavily indoctrinated, the most insensitive, the most conceited, the most helpless and the most bored. I remember having a conversation a few years ago with with a doctor, insert name here, I'm not going to say who they are. And we were talking about the teaching of the theory of design um on the master's course that i was then at the time running and i had started a lecture series called the espresso lectures which were they were sort of more like the um you know the seth godan lectures um or the um oh crikey what do you call that guy who wrote blink um oh outliers malcolm gladwell they were that kind of thing um and i said you know this is this is not like deep 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 academic theory it's it's more practical it's still it's still intellectually challenging and it still will ask you to think in different ways but i am definitely not going to get into stuff that is incredibly complex and hard to understand uh you know anyhow we'd had a, the, the lectures got really good feedback people really loved them because they made them think about things in different ways uh you know like how do we market products and what is society and what's the long tail and all of that kind of it's really interesting but we had this meeting called i can't remember who called it and anyway i had this doctor doctor such and such and there was another doctor called Dr. Something Else. And then there was a third doctor called Dr. Joseph McBrain. I can mention Joseph because Joseph and I taught together on the Masters. And Joseph taught the more, the academic theory side of things. Sure. And Joseph and I always had a meeting at the start of the year and said, look, you know, I'll do this and you do this. And we're both teaching theory and history in, in a slightly different way. Um, and we, we both had a conversation that acknowledged each other's uh, contribution, but also did it in a very respectful way. Um, and when we had this meeting, this particular doctor such and such, um, who I would say probably was maybe a bit like a tad younger than me, but not that much. Um, but because, you know, people look at me and think I'm 30, um, but I'm not. I'm like 50, you know. I mean, I'm just, I don't know how I've managed to keep this amazing kind of body <laughs> because, you know, like with my life, I've just treated it so badly. But anyway, she said, um, well, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm being frank, um, you shouldn't be teaching this stuff anyway. And I was like, what? Uh, and she said, yes, because you don't have a doctorate. And I was like, what? What? And, you know, this conversation ensued where I was told in no uncertain terms by this doctor and another one, right, that there was no way I should be teaching anything to do with history and theory because I didn't have a doctorate. Ergo, I was a fucking thicko. And I was like, what the fuck? Um, I, just, I was really taken aback. But really? that... that 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 institutional lunacy prevails for sure yeah yeah no so there's a couple of things to to bear in mind i think for this text because i think that um they're important so i've i haven't read every single one of the myths because it's quite a, like i said it's quite a lot there i've read a mm. few i've read the i've read all of the intro and i've read most of the conclusions so there's a couple of things i want to point out that i think are worth digging in because i think if you jump into that if you just jump to that chapter you would quickly draw some conclusions that I think he addresses at the beginning mm. and the end of the book. So one of the things he talks about at the beginning is that he calls the text uh, a polemic, which is, I had to look yeah. it up, obviously. You know, so I'm like, Designed well, to spark discussion yeah. and argument. Exactly. So, so intentionally, to... intentionally kind of full on. Yes. Like, for example, you could, you could say to me in a polemical way, frankly, you shouldn't be teaching this anyway. Um, and, and your purpose is really none other than to spark discussion, yeah. you know, like who should be teaching it. Right. But that, that was not the way that was presented to me. The way it was presented was you're a fucking thicko and get the fuck out because you're dumb. Yeah. Like, okay. No. And he goes on and to say, I'm that- ashamed to say that in that particular instance, this was five years ago. I said, well, name here. I've actually written 
seven books and I believe you're about to start on your first book. So, you know, go figure. Um, and you know what? I, I wish <laughs> I'd so never naughty. said that because I now look back and think, why was I doing that? Why was I having to swing my dick so that she could swing her dick and we could basically do a big swinging dick thing? Yeah. And now I just go, okay, fair enough. You know, yeah. you're entitled to your opinion. Actually, if you do that, you get them more annoyed because they yes, want they're, you they're to get upset. Yeah, you know? yeah. So he talks about this, that basically he says, what follows is a polemic or as defenders of the system would have it, a, in quotes, rant, a direct attack on the roots of the system. And then he basically goes on to say that, uh, you know, ba you know that if you're reading this, um, yeah, if you do, if you do not feel what I have to say as expressing some kind of reality in your own experience, then no matter how true from my account, you'll already be starting to feel that it is stupid, unrealistic, amateurish, unprofessional, immature, naive, sixth form, inappropriate, pretentious, edgy, navel gazing, too deep for me, or at best, debatable. Who are you to say or? oh, well, I guess that's your opinion and we're different. And you'll already be obviating these unpleasant feelings by focusing on the details of what I'm saying, removing them from the context of the entire point. What's, mm. you know, what about all the good things the system does? What about the nice journalists and the teachers? You must be so angry or objectifying to whatever mistakes or inconsistencies you can find. You will, in a word, find it all nonsense. Um, and then he talks about not referring to emotion, but just this. So he basically says, you know, if you're going to read this, you're probably going to, you you know, you you might have some, those are the kind of things that are going to come up in your mind. And I've read some of it and it, those things sort of do creep in. You think, oh, okay, yeah, but what about? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the text, he makes it very clear that this is an anarchist text mm -hmm. and, and goes through to describe some of the reasons people that would have objections to anarchism. Um, you know, and it's all about chaos and all that kind of stuff, which is, was... Um, He's got some really good points as to why anarchism actually might be something to, that could work. And mm. he ends the book um, with this line, which I think, and then we can talk about the chapter itself, I think, in general terms. Um, Basically, I think we're going to have to talk about this book for at least three or four episodes. No, it's full on, isn't it? There's lots of interesting stuff. So he says, um, uh, yeah, OK, uh, he says, let's get to the end bit, because I think this is important. Imagine, if sh in short, that we live now as if the day had come. It seems to us, considering such a prospect, that the result would be unbelievable chaos and suffering. But, even putting aside the fact that, outside of a few comfortable bubbles, the world is already unbelievably chaos and suffering, it is still an irrelevant objection. Because, very soon, there will be a crash that we will do all this anyway. We have the choice between that kind of crash and one we organise ourselves. In either case, it will be grim, but I know which one I prefer. So, it's you know. So I thought it, you know. I think the context of that the chapter sort of is important. Um, and his, I think yeah. his argument generally, and like I said, I haven't finished it properly, is that he feels that we need to dismantle the entire system, and the only way to do that is through use, um, what he would call anar you know anarchy in general terms. Yeah. I think one of the things that I find interesting about it is, um, well, there's a number of things that I found interesting about the text. One, I, um, and I've been learning this about myself, um, I have a tendency, you know, one of the things I joined this week, everything's like connected to everything else, um, was on Tuesday, I was in Content Club, which is run by Sarah Richards, gov formerly of gov.uk, mm. um, and now she's running Content Design London. And yeah. one of the things that she launched recently, which I paid for, I think it was £30, it was far too cheap, was a thing called Content Club. And we meet every week to discuss content design. And there was about maybe 40 of us who met on Tuesday morning to talk about content and, you know, what is content design, etc. And it's an experiment that Sarah's running and I definitely think she should run it, um, you know, and I think she should charge more money for it as well um, because it's a really, it serves a really good purpose. And... Um, for me, what was interesting about that is two things. One, there is a real need for community. Yep. People want to be part of a community. Um, and there is a need for possibly multiple communities that serve different needs and purposes. Yep. So I could be in Content Club, which is really awesome for me because it's about writing and it's about expressing yourself clearly, etc. And the, the tangential relation to this was that he has a tendency to write in very long sentences that are incredibly confusing and need to be broken down. And I, I think that he could do 
I mean, I look at this and I see myself. I think, oh, mad. You know, I've been spent the last year trying to, to simplify things. And that's one of the things that is big in Content Club. They're like, you know, everyone was asked for a pet peeve. My pet peeve was academia. I said, you know, why do we use these crazy large words when we could just write things a lot more simply? Yeah. Um, and why do we use sentences that are 100 words long when we could use like a few that were like five just to make, you know, just to make the reading more interesting and to make it more accessible? And I think there's an issue there. But coming to the other point was, you know, I really enjoyed being in that group of people for one hour. Right. And then I also this week joined Mega Maker Club, mm. which is by Justin Jackson. And I, I signed up for that primarily so I could see how someone is using Playgroup, which is this forum software that we talked about last week. Um, because Ben, who's making Playgroup, said, you might want to take a look at Justin, who's doing Mega Maker Club. And I looked at it and thought, wow, there's an awful lot of overlap between what's happening in Mega Maker Club and what I'm doing in the School of Design. Um, but, you know, it was $299. So it wasn't cheap, um, but I paid that money. Um, and it was worth it. As soon as the first email arrived, I thought this is worth it because it, it came, it said, welcome to Mega Maker Club. There are two parts of the club. There's the forum, which is using Playgroup and it's all this, you know, longer term information that's really valuable. And then there's the Slack, which is more current and discussion orientated. Yep. And I thought, wow, so this is totally going to be the same as the School of Design um, because I'd already started mapping it out, right? There's the forum in Playgroup, which is deeper content for members of the School of Design. Then there's the notion, which is the same stuff, but less in depth, um, but still designed to help people. And then there's the Slack, which is the more conversation driven. And by putting the, the, the play group and the Slack together, it means that if there's really good value, you take it out of the Slack and put it into the play group. Yep. Because the, the Slack, unless you're paying the huge amounts of money, which I just don't have, you're going to lose messages once you hit the 10,000 message limit. Yeah. Um, but that's fine, right? But the other thing that I really started thinking about was, you know, you're paying your Patreon to Thought Shrapnel, um, and that's patreon.com slash Proctorbot. Um, you know, there is room in the world for people to pay to be part of more than one community. So, for example, you could be in the community of Content Design London and in Content Club. You could also be in the community of uh, Maker Thingy Be Bob Mega Maker, um, and be part of that community. And you could also be part of the School of Design because it's more of a design-focused community. And actually, I'm starting to see this as an alternative to education. Hmm. So, to me, education. Yeah. So I have an essay <laughs> that I will share with you called um, uh, "The Great Unbundling," um, and education is a bundle. It's like you pay for a degree and that degree yes. is a bundle of things. And, you know, one of the things is, um, let's say, an HTML and CSS class. And one of them is a design thinking class. And one of them is an entrepreneurship thing. But you don't need to get those from an official, big scare quotes, university. You could get them from a variety of different locations. No, so you, this is the thing that I think is, and I'm just going to look it up so I get it right. But basically, um, the piece for me is that in, I know he's talking about the system and all these other things, and of course there's, there will be things that I don't agree with, and there will be things that I think hit the oh, nail on yeah. the head, and of course education is one of them. But what he's talking, about, what you're talking about, and what I think he's talking about was written already in 1971 by a guy called Ivan Ilevich in the book called Deschooling Society, and what he talks about there is learning networks. Uh, he call, oh, I think he calls okay. them network webs, if I remember right, or web. Let me see what he called them. I've got something. I totally need to read this. Yeah, yeah. So, so it uh, and I've put a link in the so you can put it in the show notes as well. Okay. Basically, he, he what's yeah, the he, name of the guy? Ivan Illich. So, okay. um, school, a sort of education theorist. He's quoted in that book of myths actually, um, as one of the sort of non non anarchy sort of writers who touches on some of this stuff but in 1971 he basically asked for um yes he's footnote number five yeah he asked on that page he basically sort of says you know universal education through schooling is not feasible it would be no more feasible if it is attempted by means of alternative institutes um the current search for new education funnels must be reversed into the search for the institutional inverse educational webs which heighten the opportunity for each one to transform each moment of his living into one of learning, sharing, and caring. 
Um, and then he talks about what these learning networks might be. So he has four, I think, if I'm in, and this is, I'm reading off the Wikipedia page because it's yeah. easier to get this together. Uh, one is a, a rever reference service to educational objects. So an open directory mm -hmm. of educational resources are available to learners, a skills exchange, a database of people willing to list their skills uh, and, and which they prefer be prepared to share and swap, peer matching, a network helping people to communicate their learning activities in order to find similar learners who may wish to collaborate, and a directory of professional educators. So a list of professionals, paraprofessionals, and freelancers detailing qualification service in terms of which they are made available. So that's kind of the premise of his text. In 1971, and he basically what's called... A, what, can I ask a question? Yeah. What's a paraprofessional? I think that would mean, that would probably be someone who's um, got... I would, I'm going to look it up, but I'm, my guess would be someone who's got experience but doesn't necessarily have a, a piece of paper that suggests they are qualified for that experience. Yeah, so, so weeks ago, I think it might have been episode one. Yes, exactly. Um, we that. were laughing and you said, write that down, Chris, write that down and we'll never we'll never remember it. And what it was, was uh, on the piece of paper was Professor Meg Lewis. Um, and, you know, I spoke to Al yesterday because Al is building the most amazing website. Um, so Al is my friend and he has a job and he goes every day to his job and then when his job is finished he works like a crazy person on my website in the evenings and it is amazing and in return I'm helping him with his website and we're discussing lots of things and you know we're just doing a big swap which is the way I really like to work because there's no money involved and Al is just building the most incredible website for me and he's just doing really amazing things and one of the things we spoke about yesterday was I said look we need a faculty page um, because he was like, well, we can fit the navigation in because there's only four things. And I was like, yeah, there's only four things now, but there's going to be like a hundred things in that navigation. <laughs> and I said, one, and he said, well, give me one. And I said, well, one of them's faculty. Um, you know, I'm not going to teach this all myself. Um, you know, if we run the Kickstarter and everybody paid for the Kickstarter, we would raise somewhere in the region of about 80,000 pounds. Um, and people think, oh man, that's loads of money. He's going to be sipping martinis and, you know, and I'm like, no, because I'm 935 days off alcohol, so I won't be sipping martinis. Um, but, you know, some of that money will go for podcasting and editing it properly. Some of it will go to pay me a salary so that I can actually invest the time needed to nurture it. But some of it will go to pay other people who are going to help. And one of those is a lady called Sarah, who used to work with the new digital school with Tiago. Um, in Portugal, in Porto. Um, and another is Meg Lewis. As soon as Meg did her talk, evening talk for us, I jumped on a Zoom with her after and said, look, you know, you've got so much enthusiasm. Your interests are so aligned with mine. They overlap between life and design. Um, you know, and I'd love to, not just to have you to do a talk every once in a while, I'd like to have you on the faculty. Um, and she was like, I'd love to do that. And I haven't worked out how that works, like in terms of payment and stuff. And you would be great on the faculty too, Adam, you know, um, and we have to work out how that works. Right. Sure. But see if you joined the faculty for me. Right. You're currently, what's your job title? Principal teaching fellow. Okay. But are there professors in Winchester School of Art? Yeah. Are they paid more money? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, forget the money, but you could come over and you could join me and you could be Professor Proctor. Right? <laughs> yeah. And Meg Lewis could be Professor Lewis. And, you know, I was talking to somebody last week and they were like, well, yeah, but you couldn't do that. And I was like, well, hang on a minute. Says who? Right? I mean, says who says that, you know, it's all just a set of, you know, yeah. loosely agreed things. No one has the authority to, um, you know, to make someone a professor or not. You know, I could go into my kitchen and I could get a bread knife out and you could come over here and I could knight you, Sir Proctor. <laughs> I mean, says, you know, who yeah. says the Queen has to do that? I could do it even with this ruler, right? You could come here. I'm going to do it on the screen now <laughs> for the people who are listening. You can't see this, but I am knighting Adam. Here we go. I've oh, got thanks, this Chris. on that side and I'm going on the other side. I knight you, Sir Adam of Procterbot. Or Sir Adam of No Nog, nay Procterbot, etc. You know who says right? Yeah, nobody, yeah. nobody has the authority. And people get in academia get unnecessarily upset about things like that. And Nicholas and I back in the day, um, and this is going to be a tiny ramble, but hopefully you'll let me do it because it's ding, ding, ding. There's the bell. Um, 
years ago when Nick and I used to work together um, in the Belfast School in Belfast School of Art as the standard Easters. And we should have pushed further on this. We we always grew our beards and we always wore tweed jackets and we were always those crazy guys from Ireland. And that was part of our brand. And that's what get, kept getting us booked to come to conferences because we thought there's no point trying to compete with Tim Van Dam at Instagram and Gowala because we, we just don't have the time to be as great at design as that. Um, you know, because that takes hard work and practice and constant, constant work, right? So what we need to push on is education. We need to be those crazy guys who are teaching it right. Um, you know, and that was a really strategic choice by me to say, this is how we're positioning ourselves, not like this, right? Um, and so we, we kind of made that our business. And then what we should have done was we should have pursued um, questions of authority and all of these kinds of like tenuous notions of, you know, who's in charge, who says you can be a professor, etc. We should have made that our business to explore that as our research because we ran beardery when we grew our beards uh, for two months, January and February. And we got into loads of newspapers, magazines. We were mentioned in on the radio in Australia. And it was really funny on, on the 1st of January, whatever year that was, I was interviewed all over the world on that day. I had to say to Kara, like, I cannot talk to you now. I'm being interviewed in Japan. And, you know, people were talking on Skype and stuff um, or even over the phone. This was like 10 years ago. Anyway, one of our other project ideas was that we would buy doctorates. And we would go and we would look on the web and we'd buy doctorates. There was a, a set of vitrines, cases in the library that you could book as an academic to put a work of art into. And we, um, we printed out all of our research into online institutes that would sell you doctorates. And we, you know, and we, we kind of mounted it on three mil Fomax and we made a real kind of like installation about what it means to be a, a doctor. Um, you know, and how you can buy a doctorate. And, and it was all investigating this idea that, you know, like who says you're a doctor, right? Um, and one of our colleagues, who I'm not sure if she is still at Belfast School of Art, um, whose name shall remain nameless, I'm just going to call um, her, um, I'm going to call her Bill Mogridge, who, who wrote Designing Interactions. Imagine that Bill has really and now identifies as a woman. Um, anyhow, she said to me, what is this? And I explained to her, it's about questions of authority and it's about questions of, you know, who, who can confer titles and, you know, it's all about this. And she said, oh, right, sounds really interesting. Really interesting, she thought it was great. And then I said, and what we're doing is we've identified the University of uh, East Texas or something, some bizarre place in the middle of nowhere. Um, and we can pay them like $240 each and we can become doctor, uh, you know, doctor person and Dr. Murphy. And she was like, what? Uh, and I said, yeah, we're going to get doctorates. And, you know, she was she immediately went from this is a fascinating work of art to because uh, she was Dr. Mogridge. Um, and she was like, you can't do this. And I said, well, why not? Uh, her name's actually Julie. And I said, well, why not, Julie? And she said, because you'll get the sack. And I said, what? And she was I mean, she partly was annoyed that we would even contemplate doing it. But the other thing was that she was concerned that if I, if Nicholas and I said we were a doctor, person and Dr. Murphy, that we would be hauled in front of a disciplinary committee and be actually sacked. Um, oh man, we didn't do it in the end, but it was so much fun. That is fun. That is fun. Because so many academics and official professors became really upset about it. Yeah. And it was like, but who gives a fuck about this stuff? And in a sense, that's what this whole, this whole chapter is about. Yeah. You know, it's about like who, who, who's in charge? What purpose does education serve? And his argument is essentially that education serves to um, normalize people and to make them fit into boxes that have been predetermined so that they can become part of a massive capitalist system yeah. um, and to be cogs in a machine. And, and towards the start of the article, he talks about, you know, uh, accumulating debt so that you can then spend the rest of your life unaccumulating the debt um and for me that's one of the things that's interesting about fees etc yeah so i think and the other thing that's worth and the reason i put some of those other connections in is just to kind of connect a few of these dots together and I, which is always the interesting thing isn't it so i put in there douglas roscoff's book team human which is super interesting uh, and then i also linked to george monobot's sort of guardian articles um, yes, and all, he's very good. yeah, and he's really good as well. And so they and they are again are talking about that the that there are you know radically things that are not working 
and that we need to start to unpick some of those things if we're going to you know survive any sort of global climate crisis all that kind of stuff uh, you know pandemics everything basically so there's quite a lot of people talking about these things um the thing that I, that's starting to gel in my mind again with all of this and it's what we talked about in the last episode and i just i think it's, it's this it is about community so one of the things that I've been, you know, obviously within a you know, games design course, built a community there of practitioners and, and with a real passion for the fact that we think that by, you know, creating innovative game products that people, that the players and people will be, you know, uh, you know transformed in their thinking and, and have experiences that make them, you know, share empathy and all that kind of stuff. So very different as we talked earlier on about how games might be perceived. Um, and... In the Team Human book, one of the, it's again it's split into a similar area. It has all these numbering system, and I, I think I listened to it mainly on audiobooks, so I've got not got as many notes. But the, there was one sentence that struck me in there. Which was, book are we talking about now? Who, so the who, book who Team, Team Human Team by Human. Douglas Rushkoff. So okay. the one sentence in there that struck me, and I wrote, I, so I stopped and wrote it down, was like um, the it was the idea that why borrow someone else's lawnmower when you can have your own talks about this idea of the start of capitalism around that sort of you know so in my street we everybody has a lawnmower and it makes no sense why do why do we not have one lawnmower that we all use that we repair you know that we divvy out each day because it's seven days a week or whatever you know it's like and you suddenly think why are we and it's and it's this dismantling of communities and this idea of the self, you know, sort of starts to permeate a lot of this stuff. And, you, and so Team Human is about bringing people back together around that sort of working together, that kind of stuff. Um, and loads of these things are about collective action, actually. So I think they've got the idea of bringing, you know, s small communities, learning networks, learning webs, whatever you want to call them, and getting people to be able to discuss and have these conversations is really, really important. And the other thing that I'm trying to work on at the moment, but it's not really got there is the so I mean I'm gonna put this will be in my PhD somehow um, mm -hmm. and I need to flesh it out a bit more but basically Maslow's hierarchy of needs has been sort of kicked around over the last few years by like lots of people <laughs> for lots of reasons uh, and so we saw yeah, it yeah. predominantly in design sort of converted into Blas hierarchy of whatever yeah so um, basically like in design space uh, so designing for emotion sort of came out that made reference to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and I've used it in that context as well mm -hmm. to sort of say how you can build like more delightful sort of designed objects and that you're traversing people through this hierarchy of needs I've done the same when I talk to game students about player agency and those kind of things and, and where you can really connect with them uh, and even last week, I, I saw it being used again in the context of education, you know, and, and, and applying it as, as a directly to how you do it, good education. What is massively interesting and what, I, you know, and, and I blew my mind is that most that Maslow's thoughts on this come from his time being spent with Native Americans. And the diagram that the Native Americans have is he's basically you know it's clear that he's used that as a basis for what he comes up with later um, and i'll dig out the link which goes into a bit more detail of this yeah is the diagram available anywhere yeah yeah so the diagram is more around a tp which is you know, it's so interesting right but the thing is at the top of maslow's hierarchy of needs is self-actualization as being the mm -hmm. top but at the top of the diagram that was used within the native uh, american culture it is another bit above that and the bit above that is about community. And Maslow chopped that bit off. <laughs> so the thing that after you get this realisation of who you are, the next thing is to enact all of that within the space of a community. And that's how you transform society, right? So I just think this is super interesting. And I think that, you know, and, and the tool that I'm trying to build is about communities and people thinking together. And so for me, it's like, I want to sit on that as the premise and say, actually, this next level that we need to get to is to get people to think collaboratively and co-create solutions to things you know so I, I mean again i haven't read all of the myth 33s but my only my big issue with the the anarchy piece is that potentially it continues to push the self as in, as the most important piece i'm not saying that anarchy because i don't know the theory i don't know the structure of it necessarily too much but i think for me it's if we can get get people talking working together get them out of their bubbles 
and to stop you know blindly sleepwalking into destruction which is pretty much what most people seem to be doing you know we're going to come yeah. out of this pandemic uh you know so, we need to go on chris what i'm trying to do and it's almost like i need to write an essay about this because that's how i do my thoughts um is i'm trying to draw a diagram so if i if i use the old time on a tradition of stick a post-it note on top of something and then you do the the grand reveal right so that's like maslow's hierarchy of needs which is the pyramid yeah but what he chopped off was this bit yeah basically i mean there's a drawings that you know that native americans have gotten whatever yeah, so, and i need i need to do more so, reading so for, on it but it's like for, for anybody who's listening i'm gonna write an essay about this um because and maybe the essay should be called the other pyramid yeah um so two four the other pyramid um so based on what adam was saying about the community can you aspect, just write can you just write that for my phd <laughs> yeah um but i mean then in theory like you know i'm going to come back to some thoughts on the um the other lawnmower in a second but the other pyramid is like you know for anyone listening we'll have to draw this but you're gonna to have to click on a show note or something the idea is that you know maslow has this pyramid and the base level then you have the next level then you have the next level and eventually it gets up to the pinnacle the top which is about self-actualization and because of the word self it's very focused on the individual right but then if you put that in the context of community the pyramid should continue on yeah. so if you take the lines that make the pyramid the two lines that are coming together to the top and you just keep drawing them you then get an inverse of a pyramid on top of maslow's pyramid and that is where it starts to become in community and it you know it's funny isn't it that you can say and he basically chopped that off because we've both been there um, we've both been there where we've looked at someone's diagram um, and we thought, yeah, there's a bit missing here or, you know, and then we've built on that diagram to make it our own diagram, um, which is in itself the nature of academia. You look yeah. at someone's work and you you modify it or you change it. I've always felt that one of the conversations I'd really like to have is um, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Yeah. Um, because Nick, Nick and I, and this is 100% down to Nick and I going to the pub and chatting. We, we both talked about his start with why and his golden circle thing. And we both said, yeah, but the why in the middle is totally driven by the who. It's driven by the person. If you read the book and you listen to the talk, it's like Steve Jobs or it's the Wright Brothers or, you know, all of the whys that we list are driven by a who. And yeah. we, we both were like, this diagram needs to go, you know, um, what, how, why, who. And the middle, there's there's a missing bit in Cynic's diagram, which is the which is the who. And I've always felt like, you know, I'd love to be able to just tweet Simon Sinek and for him to reply and say, oh, yeah, let's go and talk about this over a pint, um, because that's actually really interesting. The problem is that Simon Sinek has become so famous um, that, you know, there's just how would he separate the wheat from the chaff? There's, he probably would be thinking, Christ, there's another fucking crazy person. And this one's in Ireland, um, you know, but, you know, people like us come along and go i'm just gonna remove that bit at the top the community bit because it doesn't really fit my diagram in fact it kind of fucks up my diagram so i'm just gonna pretend that doesn't exist and then everybody goes whoa there's an amazing diagram but they're almost like working with the wrong diagram because like a big thing has been lopped off it you know and i've always felt that with the simon Sinek thing if just more people could get the message via simon Sinek that there's another bit in the middle that is the who, then his, you know, he can get all the credit. That's totally cool. Um, you know, his model would just be a bit better, right? Because then everyone would start to think that it's not just about this abstract why thing. It's about you have the, the power to make the why. And that fundamentally changes what that means. Um, and for me, that diagram of the pyramid stopping at the top is like, whoa, it's missing another pyramid. And it would completely change what the diagram means. Um, but I mean, all of this, we are so running out of time. It is now 53 minutes. All yeah, of so this, though, is, is in the context of essentially, like, what is education and what's the purpose of it and what is community? And, you know, to me, if we can contextualize it back into what's happening right now, there is this real interest in community right now. Um, there are a lot of people talking about community. Um, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Sarah Richards thought, do you know what we should do? We should do a content club. And I don't think it's a coincidence that I thought what I should do for the School of Design is build a community. And I don't think, you know, 
I don't think it's a coincidence that Magic uh, Mighty Networks, which I've kind of abandoned now for, for a better tool, which is Playgroup and Slack, um, there are a lot of people jumping onto Mighty Networks, which I found out yesterday is actually a massive capitalist invested 17, 16 million pound. It's Series A funding, oh, blah. Dear. And when I spoke to Ben yesterday, I said, actually, it feels better for me because, um, you know, what you're doing is something that is very personal and is driven by your mission. Yeah. Um, and if I find it here, I said to him yesterday, um, I'm pretty sure he, he, he said to me, you know, about the Mighty Networks versus Playgroup. They're completely different tools. Um, he said, I guess your role is evolving. Um, but I think it's a fun journey and it looks like you already have a lot planned. I'm actually excited to see where you take this with or without playgroup. Um, of course, I would love to support with the forum as much as I can. Um, and then he went on to say, and now I'm actually a little bit curious about the integration of Notion and playgroup. I think I might look into that. And I thought, this is exactly the person I want to work with. He's thinking, hmm, Chris is using Notion for his free library. He's using playgroup for his less free library. Is there some way that we could build between the two, yeah. some kind of APIs that would mimic the library for members who are in the community so that you didn't have to cross-reference between the Notion and the Playgroup. So ideally what you would do is build your whole community in Playgroup and you would mark things as free and then they would go over to the Notion, right? And you would programmatically do that so that would save you cross-referencing and being a human and making a mistake, etc. Anyhow, I said to him, I'm pretty sure Playgroup will be a part of this. Originally, I thought I would use Mighty Networks, but all the modal slide over UI work is totally fucking ugly. They, they have lots of UI modals sliding around and I'm like, oh man, this is awful. They also have some sort of like, on some pages, the model is like tall and thin, yeah. uh, up and down. And on other pages, the model is like tall and thin left to right. And I'm like, whoa, let's just stick with one paradigm and, and work on that paradigm because I'm confused with things going in two different yeah. directions, yeah? Um, and I said, um, don't even start me on their design. It is awful for a number of reasons. Um, and that's my opinion, right? Some yeah. people might love Mighty Networks, and we're all entitled to our opinion. Plus, they harass the fuck out of you by email, selling their community-building masterclass over and over and over to the point of extreme irritation, which ironically has the opposite effect. It puts you off. Like every day I was getting an email from this lady called Gina Bianchi or something, who's the founder of Mighty Network, saying, hey, Chris, you know, you would love our community building masterclass. And I'm like, oh, look, I've looked at it and it's not for me. Next day, hey, have you noticed the community building masterclass? And I'm like, yeah. yes, I have. And I don't want to do it. Then the next day it's like, again. And I'm like, look, I don't want to unsubscribe from your newsletter because I think what you're doing is interesting. But I also don't want you to keep harassing me about this because I don't want to do it. Um, you know, and if, if you've seen four or five days on the trot, I've read about the thing and I haven't clicked the button, then assume I don't want to do it, you know, or, or give me a button that says, I really want to get these emails, but I'm not interested in the community masterclass. Yeah. Anyhow, I said their communication also seems a bit corporate. And um, oh, what do you know? I just checked and they have $16 million in Series A funding, yeah. which explains a lot. Yeah. Um, this is the opposite of the company I want to work with. The School of Design is about purpose-focused and mission-driven businesses. That is you, Ben, at Playgroup. Plus, you got in touch with me as a human being, and we are fast becoming friends. That is the kind of tool I want to build my business around. Yeah. So this is the thing, and obviously, so there's a couple of things I want. To, I think I can wrap up with, which might be interesting, yeah. and I think continue the conversation and hopefully get people to know why they would want to keep listening to what we talk about. Um, obviously, with that, they're emailing you all the time because they have massive Serie A funding, and that yeah. basically means they need an exit. And the only way you yeah. get an exit in VC terms is huge numbers of people's. Um, yeah. And I think, like you, like me, what we're interested in is small communities. So there's a yeah. so of it, there's another startup. Uh, well, I shouldn't call them a startup. So there's another group of people, two people, Errol Balkin uh, and Laura Kalberg, who have I started. Know, Errol um, and Laura. Yeah, and so they've got a, they're building a number of tools, but one of them is SiteJS, which is SiteJS.org, and it's basically this the opening pit that is the small web is for people, not startups, enterprises, or governments. One person, one server, one site, and it's a way to build your own space on the web. For you, and this money says it's not for startups. It's not, you know, uh, and they're doing some really interesting stuff because it's about just doing those small things. 
And the other in the other thing I want to just wrap if, on. If I could just interject on. one thing there, as you're going to find the other thing, is the the word startup, which is hugely problematic. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been look, the word startup is useful for a number of reasons. It's uh, it's useful shorthand for saying small organization, scrappy, trying to experiment, trying to hack around ideas, hack in the positive sense, and you know a bit edgy and doesn't quite know what it's doing yet but has generally got a sense of direction um and you know when i talk about um when i talk in the school of design community um or when i'm mentoring people in the school of design i'm like look you could if if, if i had made felt my record label or 1024 my first record label right uh now i would call them a startup i would sure. talk about them as being a startup that was focused around music um because just you wouldn't call it a business. But I mean, back in the day, we used to just call it a business. Yeah. We used to say, like, I'm a, I'm a small one person business. And, you know, it's something to do with questioning the future of publishing and, uh, you know, embracing MP3s, which are this brand new medium. Right. If I was telling that story now, I'd say I'm a startup because that sounds very startupy. So I think that there's a couple of things there. One, startup is a useful term in terms of telegraphing your intention. But also, you know, this is what I'm doing without getting too bogged down in the detail. Um, and also, I think if you describe what you're doing as a business or you described it as a startup, there's, there's, they have very different connotations, right? But I also think that, you know, what Aral and Laura are doing is indicative of an overall general sense of direction. A few years ago, we were all worried that walled gardens were going to take over everything that we were going to be in Facebook or we were going to be in Twitter or we were going to be in some other walled garden. And actually what we've seen is the exact opposite. We've seen, yeah, loads of people are in these walled gardens and they've been fucked over with their data and they're now getting Donald Trump ads shoved down their throat all the time, right? Um, because they're being programmatically targeted at, right? But equally, there's a backlash against that towards independence, towards um scrap of scrappiness towards i want to build my own home on the web um you know and anyone who's been involved in the small web for 20 30 years like we have will have been there before with the whole sharecropping versus homesteading um discussion and that that's a whole separate section for us um yeah sorry no uh, no I've definitely kind of i think there. yeah no, it's just I think it's easy to use that word, like you say, startup, but actually the connotations have all kind of issues, which is why they, they avoid that kind of term. You know, they talk about being a tiny, independent, two-person, not-profit, you know, small, and they talk about small technology, everyday tools for everyday people designed to increase human welfare, not corporate profits, which obviously I think we were both super subscribed to. So the interesting yeah. thing with a lot of this and, the, and why people should go away and look at these kind of things, I'm going to mention two last bits just briefly because I think they are touch on something that I think offers opportunities. So one of George Monobrot's articles in May talks about bailing out the planet. And he basically starts this with um, this idea of, yeah, do not resuscitate. This tag should be attached to oil, airline and car companies. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> Which I thought was great, right? So he basically says, you know, we're coming out of this kind of, you know, I th we're coming out of this situation, hopefully the pandemic or whatever, and we shouldn't just be looking to resurrect um, or resuscitate the things that yeah, have been doing damage to the entire planet for for decades and then another mm. guy um and this article is massive uh, a guy called vinye gupta who again i've been fortunate enough to meet and heard talk amazing yes, i've guy. been reading his stuff recently amazing guy amazing guy uh glass uh indian background glaswegian like fantastic you know just is a really nice guy and his he has this whole article about um the problems that currently exist in society and he's been he's done so many interesting and good things for people um, but at the end of the article what he basically says which I, I wanted to get to because I thought it's really interesting it just basically he says um, we should stop exploiting the way to fix all these things he says we should stop exploiting each other's children and taking away their futures so he says, boom, job done. That's it. It's all necessary. It wasn't easy. Home time, home and time for supper. That's after reading about 5,000 words. Right? And of course, he then goes on to say, look, this isn't a hippie, like, put the children first thing. But if you look at, he says, so say that you look at a situation, situation by situation and rule by rule, law by law, and ask, am I harming the children? If the answer is yes, don't do it. 
And it's pretty simple. Yeah, and he just yeah. says, the kids are profoundly collateral damage in the power struggles of adults, and we're using them like hostages. Yeah, yeah? it's shocking. I mean, you know, you're, you've got kids, I've got kids. And we, we and I think that well, everybody says that your life changes when you have kids. That's for sure. Um, but one of the things I notice a lot more about now, um, and has fundamentally transformed my opinion about education, is, you know, in the before my kids got to university age, you know, I would say to loads of people in this bl in this kind of blasé, brush it off kind of manner. Look, it's a master's. It's going to cost you this much money. But if you want to change your life, spend the money. And now I look at it and think, whoa, 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 whoa. That was just a little bit blasé. And people maybe don't have that money. And I really should be ashamed of myself for the way I was putting that over there. And, you know, yes, did, did, did those people who came on that master's change their lives? Most of them did because they did the work and it wasn't, I, I think we did a great, it's not me. We all did a great job. Joseph, um, Debbie, myself, collectively, we did an amazing job. Um, but, you know, why should that cost that money? It should be free. Um, because actually all those people are all now employing people, <laughs> you know, they're actually paying more tax and they are paying, they are employing other people. I mean, look at me now, I'm employing Jasmine. Um, you know, for me, that's like a fundamental shift. I, you know, I started to write about this the other day and say, I can actually give you my honest opinion on what it means to be an employer, to look for someone to hire because I am, at, I have actually been in that role, yeah, yeah. right? And until you've actually been in the shoes of that, situation whether it's looking for an employee or your daughter or son wanting to go to university you know you don't really actually you're not in a position to comment on it um, yeah. and i think that we are at the minute fucking over the kids a lot um and we we have to rethink education because you know i just don't think what we're doing at the minute is right you know you shouldn't be leaving glasgow school of art with forty thousand pounds worth of debt you know, you should be leaving Glasgow School of Art with zero debt because the government has invested money into it because it understands that educating its citizens is good for the overall economy and for society and for culture. And by doing that, guess what? You'll actually end up with more money anyway because everyone will be doing amazing things and building businesses, etc. Yeah. No, I agree. We should and I think stop. That... We should stop. Yeah. Um, like, geez, there's so much to unpack there. Um, no, I agree. One thing I... I would say before we Go before on. we stop, stop, properly yeah. stop. I'll do the show notes for this one, right? Um, because this has been really interesting. The show notes were done for episode one. Did you yeah. see them? Yes. They're on the website. They, I think that they're kind of okay. Yeah, they're good. And I, I, I need to do that for episodes two, three, and four. But what I'll do is I'll do these show notes first. Sure. Um, and, and along the, the lines of what I did for episode one. And my plan with the show notes was to, I've made them a category for the type of the School of Design website so that I can put them onto the School of Design website and link people back to the podcast. Great. But I thought that they were a good balance between like a, almost like a little blog post that you could read if you didn't want to listen to the show. Um, but also that, that, you know, they serve as a pointer to the show as well. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I and, and I didn't want to do like a kind of, you know, I mean, the what do you call that? The accidental tech podcast is, is like an inspiration to both of us. But their style of show notes is kind of like link, 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 yeah, yeah. link, link. No, and I think Whereas what I tried to do was like write, you know, a set of like four or five paragraphs that contextualize what we're talking about. But then also put in links to peanut butter wolf and peanut butter falcon. <laughs> because, like, yes, not, right? exactly. Great. Yeah, peanut butter falcon, great film. Great film. That was great. Um, that was really cool. That was really cool. Um, I'm going to stop my...